today on Ag News Daily. Make sure that uh, whenever you go out in town or anything, come home, you change clothes, you change your boots, you have foot baths between every poultry house, change protective boots between every chicken house and try to mitigate every risk you can. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Tanner Winterhoff. And Tanner, it's almost like you missed me last these last couple of days while I've been gone. Right, almost. Yep. Almost <laughs> like I missed you. Almost, but not quite. Don't let our <laughs> listeners be fooled. I'm not going to show my cards. Are you kidding me? I would never expect anything less. Oh, we are off to a killer start this morning. Let's uh, let's jump into an award right away. So NASA's Cynthia Rosenweig. I'm going to say that's exactly how you Rosen Rosen Zizweig. Oh my goodness, you're going to have to look that up, Delaney, and help me out. She anyway received the 2022 World Food Prize Award. So uh, that was announced yesterday. The Nobel Prize for Food and Agriculture is on a mission to elevate innovations and inspire actions in sustainability, increase the quality, quantity, and availability of food. So Rosin Zwieg was selected for this award for her research and understanding the relationship between climate and food systems and the ability to forecast how both the climate and food availability will change in the future. So her modeling has provided a foundation for decision makers around the world to create strategies to mitigate climate change and adapt our food systems. So she, Miss Rosen Zwieg, just sounds so fun to say. Uh, congratulations to her. She stated she's thrilled and honored to receive the World Food Prize this year because food systems are now emerging as a key component of our culture. She also is the co-founder of the Agricultural Model Intercomparison and Improvement Project. I don't have a clue, Delaney, what that is, but definitely sounds like she's deserved it. Well, you could have Googled it, Tanner. Come on. <laughs> yes, I did. I failed you. I apologize. I just was impressed that uh, a NASA scientist received the yeah. Agricultural Award. Yeah, I saw that too. I think that's really neat. But actually, I don't know if you saw this at Commodity Classic, Tanner, but NASA does a lot with agriculture from some of the satellite and research data that they provide. So actually, that seems in line with what I would expect from a World Food Prize recipient. So maybe she did a lot within the ag and and research space at NASA. There you go. Certainly could have. Just a guess. I really have no clue. But nonetheless, (laughs) congratulations to her. And Tanner, as you look at next week's weather forecast, we're still kind of dreary here in central Iowa today, but we are expected to see largely weather pick up and hopefully planters will roll. I don't expect we'll see that reflected on next week's planting progress report, but a lot of the Midwest is expected in the Corn Belt to heat up next week as well as return to some drier forecasts, which we certainly could use because I still have not seen any planters around this area here in central Iowa planting, Tanner. I don't know about you. No, I haven't. And uh, I got a new nephew this week. So my parents oh, traveled from Northwest Iowa. Thank you. 
they traveled down from Northwest Iowa and didn't see anybody turning any wheels mm. that direction. So pretty much all of Iowa is stopped. Yes. Uh, but there is there is some good news. So this article by Rhonda Brooks states that farmers, even though you have wet fields and are feeling frustrated and anxious, you still have yield potentials. So she talked with Brent Tharp of Whipple's Hybrids. And he said, even though it is before, even though it's May, if we get into before May 15th, we're still at 95% of our yield potential in Iowa and Illinois for corn planting. Even if it takes until May 20th, you still have 92% of your potential yield potential uh, in this year. Bob Nielsen with Purdue University says that uh, if you want to try and calculate a daily loss, it is only about a third of a percent a day in May all the way through the end. So uh, we are losing yield the later that it takes mm -hmm. to get this crop in the ground, but it's not as big of an impact as I had originally thought. Right. But the key to that, Tanner, is the potential yields because we have literally the entire growing season ahead of us and we're still expecting to see largely a hot and dry summer this growing season. So obviously that will have a much more dire impact on crops that are planted this year if we do not see some timely rains. But that's going on in the corn belts. Meanwhile, in the Northern Plains, Tanner, spring wheat is on the verge of one of its wettest springs on record. And the outlook is remaining wet over the next 10 days to add further planting delays to those folks. So wet weather here, we wish we could send to some of those folks that are experiencing the wettest years on record. We are killing the transitions today. It's too bad we don't have an advertiser because they would be so proud of us because <laughs> I'm now headed down to Oklahoma into the hard red winter wheat country where they're reporting that their winter wheat production this year is likely to be about half of the 2021 harvest because of widespread drought. So you're wet in the Northern Plains. Oklahoma is severely dry with high winds that are taking a toll on the wheat crop that is in place. Uh, that came from Matthew Wild, a progressive farmer, uh, reporting on the crop condition down there. So even though the USDA had pegged that wheat crop at 115 million bushels, that is only an average of 39 bushels to the acre. So uh, not good results anticipated for our friends down there in Oklahoma. Yeah. And, you know, as you look at acres getting planted this year, Tanner, when we were at uh, the Witten building, which is where the USDA is housed earlier this week in Washington, D.C., Vilsack mentioned that the USDA was still accepting CRP general and continuous sign up because they'd only seen so far two million acres enrolled in the CRP program, only 400,000 of which were new acres. So they said that there's about 3.4 million acres expiring this year. So Vilsack is, of course, encouraging producers to use that grassland and continuous sign up, both of which are currently open. However, you've got to call into question, Tanner, because a lot of ag groups and folks are suggesting or have asked, should we still be using CRP this year due to the lack of production that we're going to see in the U.S., Russia, Ukraine, India? Brazil and Argentina, the list goes on and on. And of course, the argument that Vilsack and all of his folks made is that, well, the CRP ground is typically lower production pasture ground that isn't ideal and suitable for raising row crops. So a little bit of a mixed message there. 
Yeah, I think I had seen a little bit on that as well. Um, we jump to those set aside acres as we look around the state of Iowa. We all know of parcels that were put into CRP when the CRP prices went really high. Mm-hmm. That yes, could probably be pulled out and be fairly productive, but uh, I do not disagree. I think there's a lot of that production ground in CRP that is not highly productive. Um, <clears throat> so I could see it going both ways, but I do know that there are a lot of people that were very thankful that we were able to hay it or graze it in the past years because of their shortage of grass hay. Yeah. And the other argument to that is, I guess, for those people that were considering pulling out some CRP ground to produce this year, it typically takes a couple of years to get that type of ground tilled and ready for corn, soybean, wheat, canola, whatever, major cereal crop production. So if you weren't going to take it out of CRP and just hay it, it it really isn't probably going to be super beneficial to do that this year because you're probably going to have a lot of work and it probably won't yield all that well. Right. Yeah. It, it is certainly a management decision that you got to pay really close to uh, as you go about trying to figure out exactly what you want to do, but uh, staying on the weather theme, Delaney, we have had and reported on flood warnings almost all week. And as you track it, it kind of started in the North and has now worked its way further south. So that flood warning is still in effect in uh, Missouri, parts of Kansas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas, according to the National Weather Service. So uh, several rivers are over their banks and minor flooding is occurring. But what I thought was interesting is I had seen some pictures on Twitter around Manitoba, the Manitoba area, and they also uh, have substantial numbers of acres under water. So I don't know how we can accurately get a grasp But based upon the conversations of the thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres that have burned in wildfires, the thousands of acres that are affected by flooding and then by drought, uh, I just see there not being a lot of great headlines around productivity for crops across the board, it seems like. Yeah, I I certainly would agree with you there, Tanner. And that, of course, calls into question, too. Speaking of productivity, I guess we're talking all about wheat and weather this week or today, I should say, because one of the final stories I have here is what's going on in Ukraine and how far are they with their intended planting? So far, according to Ukraine Grain Trader Union reports, farmers have planted about 31% of the expected area so far. This expected area is down nearly a quarter from 2021 due to weather, and they have planted about 31% of the reduced area to this point, which includes spring wheat, uh, spring barley, and corn, where the the three main crops that have have been planted so far, Tanner. Of course, they're still dealing with the Russia-Ukraine invasion, and according to Corteva's vice president, President and Chief Financial Officer Dave Anderson, he said that their company Corteva is still performing really well in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa despite the war in Ukraine. And he said that he expects farmers, they expect farmers at Corteva to continue to plant crops and that they're expecting to see about 70% of total intended crop acres to be planted this year. However, the caveat he shared is that although they're expecting to see about 70% of crops planted, harvesting those crops is still the big question mark. 
yeah, we had had a conversation around what harvesting looks like because we already know that there's some occupied regions um, that are being told that the harvesting portion of that will be taken and being done for them. Um, I agree. We, we still have a lot of time between now and then to figure that out, but it is definitely a wild card. It certainly is, Tanner. But one thing that was not a wild card this week was a story coming out about ADM. They have been ordered to release their documents on employees because they have been alleged to price fix some ethanol facilities. I don't know if you'd seen this tan- this uh, this story, Tanner. I did. It looked boring, so I skipped oh. over it. <laughs> okay, well, we can we can just gloss right over it here. The gist of the story is that ADM was ordered by a federal court on Tuesday to turn over some internal documents and communications that related to a 2019 suspension of an ADM accounting employee. As part of an ongoing ethanol markets lawsuit, they were alleged to uh, have been ordered by supervisors. This accountant was ha- was alleged to be a been ordered by supervisors to take actions at the center of the case and was alleged to be asked to um, pay differently or report differently for their internal accounting policy, which is a no-no, big no-no, because when an accountant signs off on something, they're putting their stamp of approval. And if you were to get audited and then, I guess, found fraudulent, wouldn't your accountant also be held accountable to some extent? That is the understanding that I have. So a big slap on the wrist there, potentially for ADM. Absolutely. Well, I'm all out of news on this, Friday. Uh, first glance at markets open this morning doesn't have things looking very optimistic. We probably are still going to set positive gains in most of the commodities for the week, but it looks like they're down mm-hmm. overnight. Is that right? That is correct, Tanner. Corn and soybeans are down this morning. Definitely not a Friday in those two markets, but wheat is trending higher still. 30 cents higher in the Chicago contract, 53 cents higher here in the old crop um, May contract. But of course, that has entered into delivery now. So we're going to see that market really quickly wrap up here. Uh, Overall, though, not a very Friday morning. But yeah, I haven't looked at where we were at this week over week, but we will probably finish still as a whole for the week in positive territory. Livestock are continuing to follow yesterday's trend with the cattle complex heading lower and lean hogs trading higher this morning, Tanner. All right. Now it's time for us to jump into our Friday conversation. It absolutely is, Tanner. It sounds like you guys chatted with Miles Farrick of Farrick Family Farms. What a fun opportunity we have today. I have the pleasure of introducing Miles Farrick of Farrick Family Partners in Arkansas, cow, calf, and poultry operation, and family friend of co-host for our interview today, Cassidy. Welcome, Miles. Good afternoon, guys. Absolutely. Cassidy, why don't you tell us how you and Miles are connected? So Miles actually went to the TCU Ranch Management Program with my dad when I was about three years old, and we've been very close family friends since then. And now he lives in Arkansas, just about two hours from a ranch my dad was working on last year. Awesome. So what do we have Miles on for conversation about today? 
So since we've been talking a lot about avian influenza and Miles runs a pretty large poultry operation alongside his cow-calf operation, I wanted to have him on just to discuss a little bit about the outbreak and how it's affecting them. Even though it hasn't reached Arkansas yet, Miles, have you felt any effects from this avian influenza outbreak? Well, luckily, we haven't per se felt any effects uh, because it hadn't hit in our region. But as of two days ago, it just broke right north near uh, Fort Smith, right on the Oklahoma border. So it's uh, it's slowly creeping down. And it's unusual because this time of year, whenever it gets warmer, that's usually when the disease should subside with warmer temperatures. And it's just a little puzzling to everybody that it's continuing this late in the year. So is this the same strand that we have historically seen run through flocks or is this year different than others? I'm pretty sure this is the same strand. Uh, There's a lot of people that are smarter than me that can tell you, but uh, yes, sir, it is. But the only thing that's different, uh, it's affecting, it's a lot, affecting a lot more operations this year and in different locations and it's a lot more widespread. So it has everybody pretty concerned about uh, what next year is going to look like. So, Miles, are you raising your chickens for uh, eggs or for meat? We actually have two different operations. One of the operations is uh, we raise them from a day old to five months, and then they go into a laying house to lay the eggs for the brawlers, the meat chickens. And then we have another operation that is just meat chickens, and we raise those for 35 days. So with that unique operation that you have, probably a lot are similar to yours, is there anything that you can do as a producer like preventative measures? Is there things that you can do to try and keep the influenza out? There is a lot of things that you can do on the ground level, but people also have to understand this is also, I guess you would say, an act of God spread by fecal matter of uh, migratory birds. So on the on the operational level, you can make sure that uh, whenever you go out in town or anything, uh, when you come home, you change clothes, you change your boots, you have... Uh, foot baths between every poultry house, um, change protective boots every, between every chicken house and try to mitigate every risk you can. But it is also, like I said, an act of God. You know, if you can have a flock of birds fly right over your operation, step in some fecal matter, and it doesn't matter what you do, you can still track it in. Um, there's also, like if you're a big turkey hunter or whatnot, you know, want to make sure you change your clothes when you, you duck hunt or turkey hunt before you come into your chicken house just to kind of mitigate any risk that you have. Is there any, even though it hasn't really been a big problem spreading to humans, are there any protective measures you take to protect yourself or your workers from possibly acquiring the disease? Uh, mainly, uh, one thing that we do is face mask at all times, keep any dust particles coming in, you know, when they're in the chicken house. But uh, luckily, you know, we haven't had that happen because if it does happen on your location, it's a uh, it's basically something that will bankrupt you because um, the federal government gets involved. And it's a very long process of if there is an outbreak, the government steps in, you know, they're in charge of of uh, depopulating the houses and uh, telling you how to clean the litter, dispose of the litter. You have to either a clean all the equipment or um replace the equipment and then once you jump through all these hoops which is on the grower you then have to wait a year after your last test before you can uh, test again to make sure it's completely negative before you can put birds back in that one location so if it happens in one of your houses 
every house at that location is considered infected and every other poultry farm and small bird, you know, flock of chickens or anything within a five mile radius is considered probable infected and um, also subject to be depopulated as well. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. I mean, that's, that's horrible news, but I'm glad that you shared that because I've always been curious. My background is a uh, feral to finish hog farm and a fat cattle feedlot. And it seems like if, you know, you had a disease run through your herd, you would try to treat and allow the fittest animals to survive and still be marketable. But it sounds like you're under guidance um, by regulatory institutions that will force you to euthanize even birds that might still be healthy. Yes, sir. If it's on, if it's in one, like in one location, if you have eight houses, if it's in one house, then the whole uh, complex that you have is considered infected. And uh, it's a, it's not like you were saying with the hogs or cattle. It's not like that. It's a, it's something that's uh, they de- depopulate the whole house. And it's a, I've only heard stories and I've talked to people. I've never, you know, knock on wood, I've, we've never had to uh, deal with it any, with anybody close to us. But it's a uh, definitely something that will bankrupt you. Since you were in the business during the 2014-15 outbreak, how does this compare to that year? Is it worse? Is it easier to handle? Has it spread more? How is that? Well, Cassidy, to be honest with you, the thing that's different is it's more widespread and we're getting a lot more of it and it's lasting longer. You know where we are. We've already run through pretty good 85, you know, degree days already and it's and we just had an outbreak three days ago, like I think it was two and a half hours from us. So that's what's scary is there's, it's more prevalent and it's lasting longer and it's affecting a lot of bird flocks. Yeah, that's something that we've been reporting here uh, at Ag News Daily about is just the rapid pace that these cases are being reported. And uh, our Secretary of Ag, Vilsack, who's also been in the news a lot, stated that he felt like the government had it under control or the industry had it under control. And we continue to see more and more news come out. So that's that's super unfortunate. We hope that your flock stays healthy. Now, do you do you guys own the birds that you are feeding or is that part of a contract agreement with another company? Uh, no, sir. That's uh, part of the contract agreement through the uh, integrator. Uh, most poultry operations or uh, you're a caretaker of it. Uh, they supply the feed and the animals. On the meat side, you're paid like... Uh, Especially raising stocker cattle, you paid on the average daily gain, shortest amount of time, the heaviest weight, the least amount of feed. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. But that also doesn't leave you much comfort when you might have to sit empty for a year uh, if a flock hits. So we, we all will be praying for every one of you producers until we get this bird flu subsided. Yes, sir. Uh, Miles, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to hear a producer's perspective after hearing all the news from government officials saying everything's under control. It's very interesting to hear your side of the story kind of counteracting what they've said. And we really thank you for coming on today. Not a problem, Cassidy. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a great day. Well, there you go. It's always nice to get to the boots on the ground, for lack of better terms, and uh, get perspective from listeners and from farmers in the area, uh, talking about things that we had reported about getting the actual scoop. Well, that is kind of our job here, Tanner, on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I know you're still new to it. Still learning. Absolutely. (laughs) 
What do you have have any big plans for the weekend? Uh, I don't believe I have any plans. It'll be a toss up whether or not we can get in the field and get started planting this week because we think we've got some rain as of last night. But other than that, no big plans. What about you, Tanner? Just chasing some softball games and possibly Sunday, just like you said, getting geared up to go hard next week. And we certainly hope that our producers listening are getting ready to get geared up and get in the fields. Stay tuned with us as you are getting planted and we will keep you abreast of all of the latest agricultural news. You can also follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go. 